Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. You have companies who potentially decline employment to someone with a marijuana conviction, but you will allow drunk drivers to continue to not just work at your company, but still park on your company property. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Mrs. 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 Jones. Every guest should be Jones. So we could open every show like God, I wish. What's up, Chad? Hey, dude. It's a, it's a it's another day, and we're going to talk about something that generally I find boring. But this is a pretty hot this is a pretty hot topic. Actually, we have Kim Jones. If you don't know Super Kim, you will Mrs. know Super Jones. Kim, <laughs> talent Jones. acquisition superhero. She's uh, she's actually senior director, enterprise talent strategy instructor, University of California Irvine, chief yes. executive officer, Kelton Legend. Uh, yeah. She was she was. This is some pretty cool stuff. Director of talent acquisition at NASA. What? Yeah. So right out of the gate, give us a little bit more about you, Kim. Give us a little Twitter bio about you. And then I would I want to dump into the, the background check for NASA. Go ahead. <laughs> I thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be here with you guys um, today. You. So um, I will say my career is representative of the inner nerd that I have. And I found a way to, to marry that inner nerd um, through HR and talent acquisition. And so I've been really fortunate to work in very technical environments. I learned a lot from engineers and it actually helped me be a much better HR leader because of what I learned from engineers and how they solve problems. So NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Northrop Grumman, GE Aviation, Raytheon and Honda. I started my career at Nationwide Insurance Company in Columbus where I'm originally from. So 
I am very appreciative of my life and career journey. So we we actually got engaged on Facebook, and I've been looking for a reason to bring you on the show. Julie's not going to like that. Just engaged in the conversation. It was oh, around okay. something that was, was somewhat boring in background checks. Although background checks, I mean, they impact individuals on a daily basis. In most cases, they they negatively impact. You, you were at Raytheon, GE Aviation, Northrop Grumman, NASA, for goodness sakes. So you, you've gone through a few background checks. How was it for you starting back in the day? It just became kind of like normal to you, but can you talk about that and then how you started to see differences and how they impacted you versus others? Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of a personal story and then just kind of professionally. So I have a very common name, Kimberly Denise Jones. Um, William Tincup will tell you, he and I had this conversation. I share my name with a rapper, uh, Little Kim. We have the same exact name, Kimberly Denise Jones. (laughs) Wow. So with almost every company that I've gone to work for, um, my background check was always complicated by the fact that I have a very common name and it was not uncommon for things to be reported on my background check that were not mine. And so it would typically take another a few additional days to clear out, out um, negative or just erroneous things that and that that weren't little, attributed. Little Kim's done jail time, right? She has. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so when you understand the nature of trying to un- trying to understand who a person is so that you know whether or not that it's safe or if that person can be trusted in your organization. And so then when I put on my HR hat, it is exactly that. Um, Organizations have a responsibility to make sure they are doing their due diligence to say, is this person who they say they are? And can they be trusted to work here around coworkers, around clients with, with company assets? Where this becomes the evil twin is when companies intentionally create policies to exclude or misinterpret, intentionally misinterpret information to exclude. And now you are impacting um, people who tend to be in protected classes. And so when I talk about talent acquisition, it is as much art as it is science. This area of background checks really requires a good talent acquisition or HR professional to understand both the art and science of background checks. Do you have an example of the intentional screening out or using, I guess, background checks as a weapon to exclude people? Sure. So perfect example here in the state of California, a few years ago, there was a law passed called ban the box and ban the box is related to the fact that on an, in, in a traditional sense, the employment application, have you been convicted of a crime? And when that question is asked at the initial stage of the application, then candidates were automatically being rejected. And this tended to impact communities of color because communities of color are more likely because of systemic racism to encounter um, law enforcement, um, to be arrested, to be held, to be you know, wrongly convicted because they don't necessarily have access to the best representation. And so now, Um, I'm standing outside of a store. Someone doesn't like the way I look. Police show up. I'm arrested for disorderly conduct. I apply for a position. And now this question of, 
have you been convicted of a crime? Was it crime or felony? Every organization may ask the question differently. Crime okay. is a very general general statement. Let me give an speeding example. Speeding ticket. A speeding <laughs> ticket is a crime. We're yeah. all criminals. Every single one of us <laughs> are, are criminals. And so um, when you think about, like I said, just disproportionately the answer to that question, what California did was that that question can't be asked at the initial application you can solicit that question post-offer because now good organizations say post-offer pre-employment. I will now make a decision about your employment, not your candidacy, because I don't ask that question until after. And now I'm, I will utilize a consumer report to better understand what that crime is and would that crime preclude you from either performing the job or just in general being employed at this particular company. So Kim, it's interesting because I, I know, and, and and to answer Joel's Joel's question, I actually was working with an organization um, to, to help them in their whole hiring process. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they had as a standard, and this is an organization that that is manufacturing drywall. Okay. And they asked about felonies. And my question was, why, why is this even necessary? Are you afraid that they're going to steal drywall? I mean, what's the, what's the purpose behind this, right? Well, what do you, what are you expecting this individual to do coming in at, you know, less than $20 an hour? And why are you asking this question? Are, are, are we not, are we not being bold enough as talent acquisition to go up the ladder and say, okay, guys, why are we asking this question? And then also pushing back and challenging them on this is not necessary. Um, So you have to have a good talent acquisition professional who is educated, I will say wise enough to know when to ask those questions. Lots of organizations do it because it's always been done without really understanding the purpose. So specifically, when you think about crimes that are felonies, um, felony assault, um, rape, murder, theft. So if I am looking to bring someone into my organization who will be among coworkers who may be interfacing with clients, either because they come into our establishment or we're sending them out to somewhere, am I automatically saying yes, because it's a felony or am I simply evaluating what that felony was, how related it might be to the job and how long ago it was? And does this person actually then have multiple felonies Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I might need to consider that indicates to me this is probably a rule breaker who may not do well here. So it shouldn't just simply be, do you have a felony? There are other things that should be evaluated so that you know what, what you're saying yes or no to, and you're ready to assume whatever level of liability or responsibility may come with employing someone who may have a felony. For example, someone who was a convicted um, child molester probably shouldn't be a security officer. Someone who's been convicted of embezzlement probably shouldn't be your CFO. And so (laughs) there's a degree of responsibility that you have as an employer to know why you're saying yes or no and how much risk you may be creating or risk that you could potentially mitigate. And this is why I talk about, is it one or multiple? And the recency of what that uh, what that offense is. Well, there's also a fairness factor here, right? Because Illinois just expunged like 5,000 individuals of felony crime convictions because of marijuana. 
And mm-hmm. now in Illinois, that's fine, right? And they don't have a, a felony in Illinois, but in the state next to them, it, it's a crime. Yes. I agree. We have to have talent acquisition professionals who have the understanding. They want to go deeper, but they also have to have the backbone to make these decisions or challenge to ensure that these decisions are being made for the betterment of not just the company, but the community itself. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have in this nation is that we're focused more on what we're doing for corporate A instead of the community that actually feeds that corporation. Um, absolutely. So, you know, here in California, marijuana um, is is legal, but there are still thousands, if not millions of people who like you said, either, you know, have some type of conviction or possibly even still serving, serving time. Yeah. And here's one of the things I always share. And I'm, I'm, I will t- honestly, I'm somewhat biased about this. I don't drink alcohol. I just, I, I never have. But when I tell you the we, number we of drink times, enough for the three of us, don't worry. <laughs> the number of times that I have had to review a background check for somebody who had a DUI, but because alcohol is legal, um, we tend to be, somewhat forgiving of if you have one DUI. And I'm like, I have seen alcohol be much more destructive than marijuana on any combination of days. But because marijuana is still considered an illegal substance and it's criminalized, you have companies who potentially decline employment to someone with a marijuana conviction, but you will allow drunk drivers to continue to not just work at your company, but still park on your company property. So I'm going to play, uh, maybe not devil's advocate, but try to try to set an opposing viewpoint here. HR's role in many cases is risk management. Keep us I out. I agree of, with that. I agree with that. Keep us out of court, if you will. So you know, Chad's example of we're we're hanging drywall, and you know, why would I exclude a felon for that? One part of it is that HR has probably enough candidates that they can bypass someone uh, and have someone fill that job. They didn't. And and where well, where you where you typically have a little bit more leniency on backgrounds is in things where there's really high demand uh, for folks. And maybe the drywall was was an exception. But but no one wants to be the person that hires the one candidate that ends up taking a hacksaw, you know, to the entire workforce. Right. They're going to be sued out, you know, sued out of business by the folks that were there that said, "Okay, you hired someone and you knew they had a felony and then they end up killing some of us or what. I mean, I know these these are extreme cases, but no HR person wants to be in that position. They are risk averse. And to me, like it sounds really good to talk about we should look at the person and we should case by case basis. But in the real world, the person making that decision does not want to be the one that hires that one person that fucks everything up. Am I wrong about that? That's the hiring manager. That's not that's not HR. This if if. If the company is is embroiled in a PR nightmare and in court for years fighting this stuff, they're going to go to HR. Yeah. So, Chad, let me ask you a question. And I, I recognize I worked for really large organizations with very established HR departments. Hiring managers were never permitted to see the background checks because we knew that their opinion may somewhat be swayed if it's someone that they really wanted to hire. And we wanted also to ensure a level of of consistency. But I want to respond to what Joel said. So 
first of all, I will tell you, I appreciate the education that I've had, but nothing prepared me for how humble you have to be knowing that you stand in judgment of whether or not someone will get hired. I, I, I have taken that very seriously. And when I worked mm-hmm. for Raytheon in particular, especially for the Polar Services Program, 20,000 people apply for 1,400 jobs. It was normal that in a hiring season, I'd have 100 background checks that came back with some type of discrepancy that mm-hmm. I had to consider, a lot of which were criminal offenses. Yeah. Um, lewd and lascivious act against a child under the age of 14, where a guy did prison time, um, was paroled, um, violated his parole and had to go back and finish his prison time. And then the question, have you been convicted of a crime? He said no. And when I spoke with him, he said he he didn't remember going to prison. I would remember if I raped a child and went to prison. I, I would remember that. And the fact that he answered no. So this risk that we are risk adverse or risk mitigation, mm-hmm. you have to take that very seriously. One of the situations I shared with Chad mm-hmm. is um, a gentleman that I actually worked with at the South Pole who, you know, years later killed his wife. Did you say the South Pole? The South Pole. When I worked for Raytheon. <laughs> like literally the South Pole? I completed a six-week deployment to Antarctica. Holy and I cow. was fortunate enough okay. to go to the South Pole for three days. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. So for those companies that are out there today who are kind of hesitant because they're afraid of texting, Mm -hmm. what do you have to say to them? (laughs) Get with the program. People are texting these days. Uh, You know, I I will say that I'm in a different generation, a different point in my career that I agree I would be hesitant. But there are obviously millions and millions of people that are in that demographic that want to receive them. So it's, again, know your audience and be able to deliver a message to your audience the way they want to receive it. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about Text Kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, text kernel uh-huh. brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. Text kernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh, my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. 
Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mmm, nachos. <laughs> That's and awesome. so the um, science lab manager, uh, like I said, some years later, killed his wife because he was in a relationship with a new person. She was coming to see him and he did not want the girlfriend to know about his wife and he killed her. The wife's family sued the previous employer saying that they would have never met. And so there was this allegation of negligent hiring because he had a previous conviction for a pretty serious felony. And what they found was he had transferred from one contractor to this new organization that was a contractor. They didn't do a background check. And if they had, the offense that he had been convicted of would have precluded him from employment. And you worked with this dude at one time? I sat next to him um, during a recruiting event, and I, then I, I met with him while I was at South Pole because he had some questions about what we were doing with the hiring process to hire technicians. For, I think he managed the science lab. So I will honestly tell you, I was creeped out after um, the story surfaced, and I'm like, I remember sitting next to Al Baker with his, you know, silver gray hair braided back in a ponytail. The fact that you you killed your wife and wrapped her body in a tarp because you didn't want her to know about your new girlfriend. And then also knowing that he had a previous felony conviction. And if a background check had been performed, that scenario would have been avoided. So this type of story is exactly what Joel's talking about, that this this happens. And, and this is this is grotesque. It is gruesome. It is it is incredibly horrible. But that then sets a precedent for high levels of risk mitigation and impacts, directly impacts, back to my story, individuals who can't manufacture drywall in an area where they can't find people to for these positions. They can't yeah. find people, but they don't want people with felonies. So there's this overreaction that happens yeah. that everybody could prospectively be, you know, a, a, a serial Antarctic killer. Uh, so how do we manage this? It's rooted in good decision making and good policy. So this can't just be a knee jerk reaction. Organizations, your C-suite has to have trust in your HR leadership team to create policies that support responsible hiring and employment. It's not a clinical if one plus one, two you need a solid infrastructure around how do we collect information and how do we evaluate it. And that process for evaluation has to be done with a great degree of common sense and some wisdom. So, so to your point, if I need to hire people to hang drywall, do I automatically reject every person with a felony or do you, you rely on having a really good HR person who understands how to evaluate how to have um, conversations with people. I will tell you to a certain extent, the spirit of discernment, you know, when somebody's lying to you about whether or not they're truly remorseful. I've had had every version of a story. I've had a guy tell me who had been convicted of domestic violence. You know, I won't fight anybody at work because um, I only fight my wife. 
Oh my God. So it is this balance of good policy and good HR professionals. If you don't have both, you are typically an organ, you may be an organization who does not manage this well, but you have to have good policy and good HR leaders. The combination of the two is critical. And it sounds like you're talking a lot about nuance, like being able to look at it from a human perspective and be able to make the right choice based on the nuances of, of a case by case. Is that what I'm hearing? There's a great deal of humanity. And again, I yeah. have been humbled by the fact that I have had to read background checks. A lady who came home and found her husband in bed with the neighbor and she pistol whipped both of them. But somehow when the police showed up, they still felt like she was the aggressor. And she had a felony assault on on her record. So so one of my questions uh, in terms of like the vendor side. So having nuance, uh, you're better at nuance the more information you have and the better, Mm -hmm. more correct information that you have. Yes. So so when when people are choosing a background check provider and most of our listeners have have done that at some point, I know that from my experience in the industry, there are certain things that are pretty, pretty much layups. Right. National database. um, Are they who they think they are? But there's a lot of the industry that is just just weird. Right. Like certain counties um, are not digital and you have to actually go down to the courthouse and hope you find the right piece of paper. So so my question is, if we have to be more human and more human means more nuance and more nuance means having the right information then what should people be looking at in regards to getting a vendor and making sure that if they're making those nuanced decisions, that they're making the right ones because the information is the best? What kind of questions should they ask and what kind of uh, you know belts and suspenders should they be wearing when they're making a, a background check vendor decision? Yeah. So it starts with your RFP and your RFP should be written in support of your established policies um, and then laws, any um, federal, state and local laws regarding employment law, background check and then policies that you have in place. That should all be embedded directly in your RFP. And so when you look at vendors, you do want to look at vendors who are um, utilizing, um, you know, current technology. You know, you can check degrees through typically um, a clearinghouse. Most large counties do have um, an electronic a, a database that you're checking against. Yep. But if you get a candidate from a remote county in Minnesota and it's the middle of winter and you have to send a process server um, to actually collect um, that information, okay, now somebody actually has to go pull a docket um, and then you know make available a report. So making sure that the vendor has a has the right systems and infrastructure in place but they also have the ability to conduct those second and third levels of screening. Let me give you an idea. When you, um, a county search versus a federal clerk of courts office search, and I have a name like Joseph Walker that returns a result. Do I have Joseph Robert Walker? Because now I need to make sure I'm screening for the full name, not just the first and last name. I'm also now looking at the Social Security number and the date of birth. And if you understand how Social Security numbers are issued in lots across the country, the same way uh, the same way zip codes work. And you know that certain certain Social Security numbers are issued at certain times of uh, across a calendar year or from year to year. You have to have a background check vendor that really understands how that works. So they're not giving you erroneous flags that something might be wrong 
or when you have a flag, they are working cooperatively with you to say, yes, this is this person or no, it isn't. This was a false flag and we will go ahead and clear this. It sounds like this is so nuanced, especially with with risk. And it could be the person. It could be the tool. And and here's the hard here's the hard conversation because you know AI is going to be interwoven into many of these things from a scale standpoint. Uh, would you ever trust AI to be able to run through and actually provide kind of like a, a risk mitigation scorecard? to uh, to your organization? No, I don't think it's that clinical. Um, I recall being at a conference a couple years ago and uh, people saying blockchain was going to revolutionize, you know, how we how we manage, um, you know, how we manage background checks. Yeah, I, I, I will tell you um, it, with my current employer every week, we are um, looking at background checks. And there's usually at least two of us um, together, possibly sometimes three, depending on what it is. And there is a degree of I will say some ambiguity, but some subjectivity on whether or not you say yes or no to something. And none of that is as absolute as one plus one equals two. I will also say we've seen enough instances where you can program in your own biases into AI And so I would much rather just know that we have a process in place where there's never a single person making a decision if it's something that has to be evaluated. But you are always screening towards um, established policy and also in certain cases, looking back at previous background checks that might have been been similar so that you are making your best attempt to be consistent in how you evaluate information that's that's reported. So blockchain, not the answer. No, no. No. <laughs> I want to piggyback a little bit on on what Chad uh, what Chad sort of alluded to is that technology is really coming into um, monitoring people, whether it be employees or even candidates. Right? Like we we talk almost weekly. It seems like about facial recognition, you know, being outlawed or, or someone mm-hmm. suing a company or a government because of, of facial recognition. And and we've even had someone on the show, um, I'm blanking on the name, maybe Chad uh, will remember it, but what this company does is they go back into your social media, uh, you know, years of tweets or whatever it might be, and try to find evidence of, you know, racism or criminal activity or immoral, whatever that it's pretty subjective uh, in some cases. And and like thousands of pages that are delivered to employers about what someone did on social media. So it seems like we're going beyond even have they been convicted? Um, Are they who they say they are? And we're getting into really, I think, dangerous territory one, I'm curious about your opinions on, you know, companies that are doing that. And number two, if, if you if you agree that that's a dangerous place to go, what should we do? Does government need to get more involved with with what we can look into in the past of people? Um, or is it totally fair game to look at all your activity, uh, whether you've been convicted or not? Yeah, and that company's was Fama. F-A-M-A. Fama. So I don't think it's a dangerous place to go. Again, it has to be utilized with a degree of responsibility. And so um, I had heard someone say, you know, alcohol makes you more of who you are. Social media does the same thing. And so when I think about people who are law enforcement, high ranking, you know, C-suite level people, is there something about their social media profile 
for things that they are doing both personally and professionally that really give you a better sense of who that person is and whether or not you are creating some risk for your organization based on the position they hold. Now, does this apply to the average drywall customer service rep person? Absolutely, absolutely not. People should be allowed to live to live their lives. They're not typically in roles that are going to influence or impact the company to that degree. But if you're talking about people who are being trust trusted with safety and leadership, who are who really are in a position to influence and decide, I do believe that there are instances where, in a really documented way, are there things about how you how decisions you've made and things about how you live your life that have the potential. Let me go back to January 6th and the number of people whose lives they've reported through social media were completely telling of what was planned before everybody showed up in Washington, D.C. and the number of employers and co-workers who dropped dime uh, on their coworkers to say, Billy has always been this, go check his, go check his social media page. So again, like every other aspect of background checks, if social media will be utilized, it has to be utilized in a very responsible way. So having parlor up and running, especially from a background check and, and kind of like a behavioral standpoint, Probably not a bad thing for the FBI and for people that are hiring. A gold mine. We had a student <laughs> when I was in Indianapolis, a computer science student, in his boastfulness said, you know, I'm so good at what I do. Go check out my 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 social media. Not This was before Facebook. Check out my personal web page. So he, he includes the link. And so, of course, we go take a look at it. And on his page, he had a picture from the Special Olympics. The caption read, even if you win, you're still retarded. Ooh. Offer rescind. We didn't go looking for it. He boasted about it as, let me show you how much more qualified I am than other candidates. Look at this page that I've built. and, And here you go. And, you know, Raytheon is a company, before diversity became sexy for everybody to talk about, Raytheon had always been a promoter of diversity. And so when we saw that, we knew this was not a person who would align well with established values if you thought that that was appropriate and something for you to boast about. Kim Jones, everybody. Kim, we thank you for your time. We know you're a busy person. For those who want to know more about you, where would you send them? They can find me at Kim the J at KeltonLegend.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn at Kimberly Jones, Talent Acquisition Queen, Superhero, and on <laughs> Twitter at, at Kim the J. And if you're yes. in the South Pole, you know Kim already, so it's all yes. good. <laughs> Chad, we out. We out. I'm Rory from Scotland, the country which brought you electricity. Thank you for listening to podcast with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Nada niente. Um, Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Player, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We out. 
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.